Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footed Tackle Podcast. I'm your host, Aristomatakos. We're back again. We are back again and we are here to speak about the week's weekend's footballing actions. The Premier League returns over the weekend in terms of returning back to its weekend slots. No FA Cup um, action or League Cup action or whatever cup they're going to decide to have next to destroy players even more. Um, but no, we're, we're, yeah, with all um, sarcasm and all the everything aside... We're back again with Premier League action over the weekend, and it was a very, very, very big day of Premier League action, or big weekend of Premier League action, I should say. Now, um, before we start, just get a couple formalities out of the way. Yes, my face is burnt. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to tell me. Yes, it's burnt. I know. Even if you if you didn't notice, or if you're an audio listener, yeah, my face is burnt. I went to the Australian Open, the tennis. Um, went to the Australian Open tennis. Today, um, sat in the sun, didn't put sunscreen on, and this is the result. Now, I actually did that semi on purpose because um, I just wanted to get any color, like any color. Any color will do red or brown or golden or black or whatever, orange, blue, purple, any color around for my skin, I'll take. And red, you know what? It's it's actually better than being pasty pasty white in my opinion anyway or for me i feel like i'm i feel a bit better like this in all honesty but yeah um um yeah the 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 burn's not the worst thing in the world the nose is definitely the nose is definitely very much burnt but uh it's all right we'll survive it is what it is um but yeah if you are going to the show and open or if you just live in australia generally um don't do what i did put sunscreen on because the sun is very dangerous especially down here Anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, the Australian Open is on as we speak. So if you see me looking down a little bit more than usual, because I'm checking the scores, Stefano Stitipas is playing at the moment. And at the time of recording, he's just won the first set 6-3, which is great. Um, Felix Ajoualiasim has lost the first set 6-1, and he's currently all tied up at 3-all in the second. John Millman heading into the fifth set. Um, well, I'm, I'm speaking about this like you guys care or don't know the results. You'll know the results by the time this comes out. And to be honest, you probably don't care because it's a football podcast. But I digress once again. Let's let's just let's move on, shall we? Anything else to speak about? Um, Stan Wawrinka's still running around, which is good to see. But anyway, I digress. That's that's the excuse for the burn. Um, yeah, that's the excuse for the burn. Got the yeah. Anyway, and I'm burnt a little bit on the arms. If you can see, or if you can tell from, if you can tell from there, bit burnt there, bit burnt on the forearms, but it is what it is. Anyway, let's move on. Let's continue, um, and let's actually start. So yeah, it was a it was a pretty hectic weekend of Premier League action. Um, pretty hectic Premier League we- weekend. Premier League weekend action. I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, yeah, we're gonna speak on we're gonna speak on three things. Two 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 things actually, as we normally do on this podcast. I want to speak about Chelsea. And I felt like I, I I didn't want to speak about them after a loss because then I'd be speaking very much on emotion and I wouldn't be able to critically analyze the situation. So I waited until we got a win and it's taken a while, but we actually, Chelsea did a football win, which is insane. Um, and then I want to speak on both derbies. I'll actually speak about both derbies first. Um, I'll speak on both derbies first, briefly. Um, then I'll speak on Chelsea. Then, of course, as we always do, finish up with some A-League action. Some things happened midweek last week after the podcast came out, which I want to speak about. All right, let's kick things off. Let's start things off. Also, before before I start, I hope everyone's well. I hope everyone is well. I hope the week has treated them nicely. And I hope, um, yeah, I hope everything's all good. 
make sure you do all the do all the good stuff and subscribe and subscribe subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the podcast or like the videos of the podcast, like all the clips. A lot of clips have been have gone out in the past week about each top six Premier League club. So if you could share those around, they're a lot more um, palatable, especially without knowing about someone, um, especially without watching someone before watching like ten minute videos is a lot easier than watching an hour long podcast so if you could share those around get people to um to watch them that would mean the world to me because they are yeah once again more palatable for the non non active listeners of this podcast anyway i'll digress also all the socials are in the links in the description on youtube and in the bios of the instagram and twitters and just search up to foot tackle podcast you'll find it all right let's move on let's let's start things let's speak on both derbies Let's kick things off by speaking on the first game of the... Not the first game of the match week, actually, but the first um, the first derby of the two, which we'll speak about, and that is, of course, the Manchester derby. Um, United versus City, two sides who um, needed a result for two different reasons, and there, of course, was a, there was a side in London about, I don't know how many miles, but quite a few, quite a few uh, miles south of Manchester, um, in London, keeping a very, very close eye on this result. Um, of course, uh, of course, I'm referencing Arsenal, and they were very happy with the result. I can only imagine that that two-one win for Manchester United um, did give them a little bit of breathing room. That, that with that they had the opportunity to capitalise on against Spurs, which we'll touch on later, of course. But um, if we speak about the game, or we speak about the lineups in particular. Um, I think a pretty pretty standard lineup by Man by Man City. A couple of injuries forced a couple of rotations in some areas, especially um especially centre half, which is which is neither here or there, I guess. Um, but apart from that, pretty pretty standard team. Um, when you look at United, United did go with that midfield of um, Ericsson, Fred, and Casemiro um, playing as that kind of three with Bruno out on the Bruno out on the right hand side. That kind of Okay, it worked. I'm not sure if he's played there quite previously, but um, yeah, he played there, played there very well. And that back line as well. Wan-Bissaka comes in a right back, and Luke Shaw slots in a left side at 10.5, um, alongside Varane, and then Malassia playing as a left back. So it was without... It, there was no drastic changes to the starting eleven. I don't think from either side. And when we see, when we look at how the match went, um, it was pretty, pretty much the standard affair. I think. I don't really think it was a. I don't really think it was a overly um, interesting derby, if you were to call it that. I don't think. It, I don't believe it was an overly um, intense derby by any means as well. So it was. It was a derby where um, that was very, very cagey. I think that's that's definitely one way to describe it, especially in the first half. Very cagey. Both sides looking towards. Um, both sides looking towards not conceding and not overly not not overextending themselves. Uh, both sides just being really really passive in the way that they wanted to play. City are probably a little bit better at doing that um, because their their ability to, to um, keep the ball and their ball retention ability is one of if not the best in the world, right? As a unit, so they 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 can play that game all day, especially in the first half. And United, well, United can definitely do that as well because their ability to hit on the counter attack is um is exceptional so far this season as well. Their ability to sit back in numbers and to really hold a very good defensive shape, especially against teams that are slightly better than them or or have slightly better um, players to pass around and to maintain possession. So um yeah, their ability at at sitting back and controlling almost controlling the tempo of the game without the ball it's kind of the way United play especially in this game they kind of didn't like they controlled the tempo without having the ball which is a very very hard thing to do um but yeah they were just able to dictate the way that City wanted to play a little bit just didn't allow them to get into certain pockets of space didn't allow them to get in behind um to to get Haaland into 
dangerous positions. Didn't really allow them to get many crosses into the box either, which also also gives Haaland something to um something to fight for. So yeah, United United did very well in terms of um shutting out shutting out City's City's main kind of threats in that first half. And the first half comes and goes without much kind of without much. Uh, happening at all really i'm not really sure what the shots um were looking like and what the stats were looking like um in that first half if if i can quickly find them but um yeah it wasn't yeah it wasn't really something that it wasn't really a game that really had a it wasn't really a game that had a big moment in it until later on and it actually didn't occur with the first goal the first goal of course comes from jack Grealish at the back post just a just one of those goals that is very very avoidable. Um, he's very very avoidable with the way that you can defend. Ball goes into the back post. Um, ball goes into the back post. I think it was a Kevin De Bruyne cross into the into the box. Grealish just just I think it might have been. It would have been maybe. Well, maybe it would have been Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I don't quite know, but whoever was underneath it. Um, just got caught under the ball, and Grealish definitely had the ability to to get the momentum, get the run, get the jump, and rise above his defender to score the goal. One 0 City just after the hour, or just on the hour, I actually think. Um, and yeah, City were in control, in control, like just heavily in control. Didn't look like, didn't look like it was gonna change anything. Like the game didn't look like it was gonna change. City looked very comfortable um, until maybe after the goal. United did start to get back into the game a little bit more. Um, they obviously had to go for it. Anthony came on at halftime, which um, which he came on at halftime for an injured Anthony Martial, I do think. Um, so, yeah, that, of course, was a massive spark for them. I think Anthony is a great player. I think I said last episode that he is he's, um, United's probably most dangerous threat. Um, potentially, like, he has potential for United. To, he has potential to be United's greatest threat going forward. That's how I want to word it. Um, yeah, with just his pace, with his um, agility, with his dribbling ability, which is, with his ability to get past the man. Um, yeah, I think he could do very, very special things, and he was able to do that when he did come on. And then, um, I'd, uh, and then, yeah, what happened after that? After the goal, just after the hour mark. Um, any other subs that came on? Oh, of course, yes, Garnacho come on. Garnacho, Garnacho, um, comes on after about seventy minutes or so, um, and he made an impact. Obviously, for the second goal, he made a massive impact. But if we look at it, um, at the next big moment, and really the moment that defined the derby, it was the goal that was awarded to by Bruno Fernandez. Um, that was awarded to Bruno Fernandez. Um, the ball was played in behind by Casemiro. Marcus Rashford runs from an offside position, doesn't touch the ball, but um, leaves a go to Bruno Fernandez who. Tucks a coolly pass Edison to equalize. Now, this is something that I want to speak about because it's the talking point of the weekend and I can't not speak about it. However, I don't really want to spend too long on it because it's VAR and I hate it with a passion. Um, okay, how do we how do, how do we attack this? Let's just attack it bluntly, I think. It's the most blatant... Like... I... United didn't cheat. That's a very, very harsh word to say. United didn't cheat. But that goal should not have stood. It is the most obvious goal to disallow you could ever see. Like, 
Rashford clearly in an offside position when Casemiro plays the ball. Rashford darts his run towards the ball into the path of the ball, influences both the Kanji in order to see where, in order to see whether or not he's able to get the ball. It affects Kyle Walker um, by tracking by influencing which run he's going to track, and it also influences Edison's decision making to whether or not he should fully commit to coming out. And Edison at the end of the day at the end of the day doesn't know who's going to take the shot. Is, was it going to be Rashford or Fernandez? He didn't know, meaning he influ- influenced the game. Marcus Rashford, clearly, it is clear and obvious that he influenced the play. Clear and obvious that he influenced the play. And he definitely had some form of impact on both City defenders and the goalkeeper in that passage of play. It is the most obvious, obvious goal to disallow. The most obvious goal to disallow. And initially it was disallowed. And then for the referee to overturn it and for VAR not to overturn that decision. I mean, what's the point of VAR? What's the point of VAR? Rashford clearly impedes Edison's decision making as to because he doesn't know who's going to take the shot. It also affects Akanji and Walker because both of them aren't aware about who is going to take the ball. Meaning that they, their decisions have been changed and their decision making is changed based on someone in an offside position. Meaning it's offside. To me, it's the most blatant thing you could ever do. Like, it's the most blatant thing you could ever kind of... Um, it's, yeah, it's the most blatant thing you can ever see, in my opinion. I just don't get it. I genuinely don't get it. But, but like, what's the point, right? What's the point? When it's when it's VAR and it's it, it's obviously the most arbitrary thing in the world. Like, like it, it, VAR is subjective now. The rules of the game are subjective. The fact that in a, ga- in a in a competitive sport, you can have subjective rules in itself is ridiculous, right? In itself is ridiculous. The fact that you can have subjective rules is, is absurd. It is absolutely absurd. That should not be a thing. But the fact that this is probably probably the most probably the most subjective rule in the book, maybe barring determining what's a clear goal scoring opportunity or not. That is a little bit more objective. The fact that you can have a... The rule should be, if a player is... If the ball is played to a player who's in an offside position, it should be offside. If the player is within a five-meter radius of the ball when the ball's played to him and he's in an offside position, even if he doesn't touch it, it should be offside. Or something along those lines. Because it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I don't... I don't... I don't see why, I don't see why they have this just stupidity about them. To I don't see why they have this stupidity about them, where they can, like the stupidity about the rule, where they can kind of dictate whether or not something should be allowed or should be disallowed based off, based off kind of. Uh, like uh, not a fact, not a fact. Everything in football is a meritocracy, right? Ninety-nine percent of things in football are a meritocracy, except a rule, which in it in its own right should be the most should be the thing that has the most merit, it shouldn't, it? or should be the thing that's determined by fact. I don't know. I don't know. The fact that you can have a, the fact that you can have a rule that's subjective in itself is stupid. I can't think of many rules in, in other sports that are subjective, like innately um, innately subjective. Anyways, anyways, I digress. That occurred, and 
there was debates about whether or not it was going to stand. It stood anyway. City needed to move on, and they didn't. City were very angry about it, uh, as as everyone should be, or as every City supporter and every City player should be, but they had to move on quickly, and they didn't. Um, United were on the front foot straight away from that moment, Were had the ability to kind of... had the ability to kind of... United had the ability to kind of take that momentum and kind of amplify it. The The noise in Old Trafford from watching it from home obviously was insane. And when the ball is played through to Garnacho, who's onside, he twists and turns, can't really find the shooting option, and then passes back to Marcus Rashford, who taps into an empty net. Delirium. Utter delirium from the United fans. And it was probably well-deserved. I think a draw was the, was the right result, in my opinion, but it was probably probably well deserved that United got a goal that was fair um, because if yeah you, you can't end that game in, in that kind of it's hard to end that game in the way that it that they did if it did end one all I think I think United deserve, definitely deserve to definitely deserve to get a goal back and they did so um yeah yeah United definitely did deserve to get a proper goal and they did do that um did do that yeah and it of course came from Marcus Rashford who has been on the form of his life. Rashford's been the, on the form of his life. So, fair play to him. Got the goal. Got the win for United. All three points. And that obviously put United, at that stage, in third place. Four points behind Arsenal in top. And one point behind their noisy neighbour. Now, now, are they in a title race? Are they in a title race? They're nine points behind. Um, yeah, they're nine points behind, as things stand. City are second in with eight points behind. To to put it bluntly, and sorry to crush all United fans' hearts, so they're not in a title race. Um, they're just not in a title race. It it, it would be very disingenuous to say that United are in a title race and Newcastle aren't. Considering they're equal on points, and Newcastle have a plus twelve, a plus a fourteen goal difference on United. So, yeah, very disingenuous to think that um, United are in a title race and Newcastle aren't. Considering the calibre, considering Newcastle have only lost one game this season as well, whereas United have lost four. But I don't necessarily think that's an overly bad thing. What it means for City, well, City have now um, lost two on the spin. No one was an AFL Cup game, but they all count. Uh, and now they go to, well, they host Tottenham on Friday morning Australia time, which will be a very another very interesting game. Another game which could decide the um the shape of the top four come May. Okay, let's um let's start let's move things on to the second derby, the North London derby. And I was gonna come on and, and rant and rave about this derby and kind of say about how good it was or whatever, but ca- can we? I mean it was it was a bit of a bit bit of a bully show, wasn't it? A bit of a Bit of like a bit of a schoolyard bully thing from Arsenal, wasn't it? They just came to came to their came to Tottenham's gaff, came to their home, and just dominated from start to finish. I think I just think Arsenal were, I mean, I mean Arsenal from what I saw were just dominant. I don't I don't really think it was much of a, I don't really think it was much of a, much of a difference in terms of game styles, in terms of sorry, not in terms of game styles, in terms of game state. I think both sides potentially had more of the both sides had more had equal amounts of possession 
in the in those equal amounts of areas, then the equal amount of shots, potentially equal amount of big chances. But Arsenal just look comfortable, look comfortable. Got two 0 up nice and early. Um, first goal came from Hugo Lloris and second uh, Hugo Lloris own goal and second goal came from a gorgeous, gorgeous strike by Martin Odegaard. And from then on, it kind of just felt like much of the muchness. Much of the same? Much of the muchness, is that a phrase? I don't know. But um, it just felt like much of the same, really. Um, it was a game... I mean, full transparency here. Um, full transparency here. I Obviously, this game was on 3.30 in the morning Australia time. And, of course, I had just finished watching Chelsea. And I knew I had to get up at about 9.30, 10 o'clock for the, for the tennis. So I was umming and ahhing about actually whether or not to watch this game. I decided to tune in for as for as long as I could, and as you can tell by the yawns in my voice, I still haven't had a, a lot of sleep. Um, I've had a pretty big day as well. But what the this game was so weird, right? Because I I had a dream, or at least I thought I had a dream that um, that Saka got into the right half space, got to the byline, had a shot, and Lloris kind of grabbed it. Lloris kind of caught it and then kind of fell into his own net. That That is a dream that I thought I had, right? Until I, I watched like the first 10 minutes and then fell asleep. I woke up without looking at the result and chucked on the um, the mini ma- the extended mini-match, which is an unbelievable thing, 45 minutes of just... Uh, like, uh, you can watch a full football game in a half. I think it's great. I watched it at like one and a half speed, though, just to get through it. Um... Just get through it a bit more easy, easier. But um, yeah, I, I I was watching that, and to my surprise, to my to my surprise, to my utter shock, I was experiencing deja vu. I was like, I've seen this, I've seen this before. I swear, I swear, I've seen this. I swear, I dreamt about this goal. I swear to God, I dreamt about it. And I was like, as Saka got to the byline, I was like. Is he going to shoot? Like, I swear he shoots. And then he shot. And I was like, wait, is Lloris going to just fall into his own net? And he did. He just let the ball go in. I was like, I was like, I, I tell you what, I was like, I swear I dreamt this. Turns out I didn't dream it. I just watched it and was in a complete daze while I was watching it and completely missed it, right? Or missed it, but my subconscious has picked it up, obviously. Um, yeah, this was just an utterly, yeah, it was so weird. I just woke up and was like, I've seen this before. I swear I'm having deja vu, but turns out, um, turns out I actually well, well, because what had happened was, what had happened was I had I'd gotten up, I'd, I'd gotten up and I tapped my phone and it said like nine twenty or whatever. I was like, oh shit, I didn't watch the game. Let me flick on the mini match. And what you have with Optus Sport is I don't spoil the results, which is great. I had the yeah, I had the results. I was watching that. I was watching the mini match. Well, still half asleep, but at least I was awake. And I was like, I swear I've seen this before. And then I quickly checked my phone. I grabbed my phone. I opened my phone, and on Optus Sport on my phone was like the the twentieth minute or whatever it was, which was like five minutes after the second goal. Yeah, the second goal was in the fourteenth um, minute, and was in the fourteenth minute, and um, my phone was on the twentieth minute. So I was like, all right. So that's actually that actually what happened. I didn't dream it. I literally saw it happen. Um, which is just which is just something which I found quite funny and um, I guess I guess show don't watch football tired and luckily I went back and watched the mini match otherwise I would have um, 
come on here and, and come on here and spouted some wrong stuff. But yeah, thankfully I actually watched it um, to actually know what was going on. But yeah, it's it's quite it was that was quite funny anyway. Um, yeah, that was actually funny enough. Hugo Lloris's first own goal in um in his entire Spurs career. So there you go. Um, the second goal was phenomenal from Odegaard. I've already covered that. And yeah, from from then on, um, from then on, Spurs had chances. Of course, uh, I think it was, I think it might have been Session Young's chance where he shot it and Ramsdale made a good save. That was a pretty good chance. But apart from that, both sides had chances. Kane had some chances. Kulisevsky had some chances. Um, but yeah, it was once again Arsenal domination. And I don't want, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I really don't want to kind of not jinx it or anything. I really don't because I, I. I am. Sh- I I hate the fact that I'm slowly starting to, maybe not love this Arsenal team, but there's something about this Arsenal team, right? If that if if they don't win the league from here, like they're six points. No, they're eight points clear. They're eight points clear, with twenty games to go. And Gary actually, Gary Neville made a great point. Gary Neville made a fantastic point actually. He said, because of the ridiculous levels that City and Liverpool have put on this Premier League, have put with this league, everyone thinks that every game they drop is is losing the title. When realistically, this is probably just a normal ebbing and flowing of the Premier League season. This is probably just normal. A normal ebbing and flowing game. A normal ebbing and flowing Premier League season. Where some teams get a jump... Results fall their way. They skip out to an 8, 9, 10, 11 point lead. And then and then they lose a couple of gaps. Get some injuries. They fall back down. It closes to 4, 5 points. Then they verse each other. Then it's a draw. Then it closes to 4. Then to 3. Then to 1. Then back out to 5. Then back out to 1. Then the other team gets ahead by 3 points. That kind of ebbing and flowing type season. There's still 20 games to go. We're technically not... In the halfway stage, well, Arsenal and City still have one game to go before they're at their halfway stage of the season. So, I don't know. I don't know what's Arsenal. What's Arsenal's run home like? They've got United at home. If they get all three points there, that would be massive. And then they've got City at home. And then other than that, they've got Liverpool away in April. City away. Oh, that that's a tough stretch. So they've got four games. So, okay, that's a tough stretch. So their final six games, Arsenal's final six games, a City away, Chelsea at home, Newcastle in Newcastle, Brighton at home, Forest away, a Forest side that could potentially be fighting for their lives, and Wolves at home, another Wolves, a Wolves side that could potentially be fighting for their lives. That is... That's going to be an intense final final six weeks for Arsenal, and I, I think yeah. So they they go Thursday to Sunday, and then Sunday, Sunday, Monday. So they've got one midweek game in there. That's the first game against City. But before then, they've got Southampton at home, West Ham away, New uh, Liverpool away, Leeds Palace at home, Fulham away. Um, Bournemouth at home, Leicester, Villa, City, Brentford, Everton, City in the Cup, and then United. We, yeah, so going back from the end to the start. It's going to be interesting. 
going to be very, very interesting to see how um, to see whether or not Arsenal can get it done. I hate the fact that I have this slight affiliation and this maybe not affiliation, this slight soft soft spot for them. I'm turning, I'm turning soft. I'm turning too much into a neutral. I need to hate them again. Maybe when, maybe when, maybe when fucking Arsenal fan TV starts saying that Mikel Arteta is the best coach of all time, then maybe I'll start to hate them then. But yeah, anyway, let's move on. Let's speak about a club that I don't hate, but get on my nerves, and that's Chelsea. Great segue. Ah, oh, where do we go with where do we go with this team? Where do we where do we go with this team now? I've just written here on my round sheet. I just put Chelsea. What the fuck is going on? And I've put six talking points. I put Badashile, Mudrik, Jao Felix, tactics, injuries, and Potter with a question mark. Okay. Now, before I start, I was going to do this tactically. I was going to do a tactical analysis. I was, because I am interested, but... But the problem with that is that I don't know what tactics we're trying to play. So I can't really analyze it without knowing what tactics we're trying to play. And full transparency, this is coming from a fan's perspective. This is coming from a purely fan's perspective. I'm going to be saying we instead of they. Something, a little bit of one of my pet hates, um, especially when I'm trying to speak about it from a non-biased perspective. This isn't a Chelsea podcast. So I try and say they as much as possible. But... For this, I'm just going to say we. Anyway, I digress. Chelsea. was going to do this tactically, but I just don't know what tactics we, we play. So how can I do it tactically if I don't know what tactics we're actually trying to do? Anyway, maybe in three or four weeks I can come to a conclusion. Where do we go with Chelsea? Now, I wanted to speak about them at some stage. For the pretty much pretty much since Potter came, took over, I did, did one with Potter about comparing tactics. I'm pretty sure I did anyway. And with Tuchel... And I've wanted to do kind of like a catch-up kind of thing where I speak about them again, but I haven't really found the right time. And I wanted to do it after a win. I wanted to do it after a win. And the Chelsea's last win before this came against Bournemouth. Came against Bournemouth well before the um, well before the 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 World Cup break. Um, sorry, it was actually the the day the the game after the World Cup. That's what it was. My my apologies. It was the it was the Boxing Day fixture after the World Cup, right? So I could have spoken about them. I could have spoken about that. I could have spoken about them at that stage, but I thought no, I'll hold off. I was like, all right, we'll probably beat Forest. So I'll speak about them then. Didn't win. We might beat City. So I'll speak about them then. Didn't beat City. Um, we could beat City again in the cup. Didn't beat City in the cup. We have to beat Fulham. I'll speak about them. Didn't beat Fulham. So I was like, am I ever going to speak about Chelsea? And then they finally pulled the finger out of the ass in in the um in the memory of Gianluca Vialli. I thought it was a a good performance in memory of one of Chelsea's biggest and greatest icons. Thank God we won in um in commemoration for Gianluca Vialli. Um, who is looking down on his Chelsea team right now, thinking, "Gee, I could, I could, I could help the, I could help these eleven blokes, couldn't I? Um, stick him up front, stick him on the touchline. He could, he could, he could help them. I think. Um, so yeah, it, it was yeah, there was it was a good match in terms of the commemorations behind it. I thought I thought the both um, I thought both the Matthew Harding and the Shed kind of did fantastic, fantastic stuff in terms of commemorating them brilliantly. The round of applause was great. Um, getting all the Chelsea legends out was beautiful as well. 
that was a good moment, and we won. Thank God for that because we needed to. Now let's speak about let's speak about a couple of things. Let's speak about speak about the transfers first. Let's speak about the transfers first. Transfers first. Chelsea, what like I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. I really don't get it because Chelsea signs ridiculous amounts of players in the off season. Um, just off the top of my head, it was Koulibaly. It was Koulibaly, it was Aubameyang, it was Zakaria on loan. Wait, let's do it back to front. So we didn't sign a goalkeeper. We signed Kukurella. Kukurella, Koulibaly, Fafana. They're the three centre-backs. They're the three defenders we signed, I think. Then we signed Zakaria. We signed Zakaria. We signed the on loan. We got Aubameyang. Gallagher came back, so we won't count him. Am I think I must be forgetting. We haven't only signed six people. That that can't happen. Yeah. So okay. Oh, actually, let, let's just look at all the players that we that Chelsea have brought in. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so Chelsea brought in Raheem Sterling, Koulibaly, Solonina, a goalkeeper, backup goalkeeper, Chukwemenga, Kukurella, D from Inter Milan, Wesley Fofana, Abamyang, Zakaria. And then in January, they signed, or we signed for the David Dachov Fafana from Mold, Badashile, Andre Santos, Jao Felix on loan, and Mikhailo Mudrik. All of these, all of these players, according to FOTMOB, this is this is the this is the amount: two hundred sixty-five k, eighty-five million, eighty-three million, fifty fifty-six million, thirteen million. This is dollars, by the way. This is dollars. Twenty-seven million dollars, ninety-six million dollars, and twenty-two, one hundred and twenty-two, eighteen on loan for nothing, eighteen, fifty-four, eighteen, sixteen, one hundred and three. That's all in Australian dollars, by the way. I I don't get it. I don't get it. I I really don't get it. Considering Chelsea are in a position where they're in a transitional position, they can't go out and spend ridiculous amounts of money on players. I don't understand the logic behind doing that. Because you're just filling up the squad with so much more potential dead wood. Chelsea, what Chelsea needed to do, and the way that, I mean, I'm not a director of football, right? So take my opinion with a grain of salt, right? What I would have done is stripped back the squad, gotten rid of all the dead wood first, and promote the kids. Even if it, even if it means Chelsea finishing 11th, 12th, 13th for one season... Or and and then potentially even two seasons, right? The the thing is with football, a lot of people don't realize this. The thing is with football is that the thing is with football is that it comes around next year. So even if you have a bad year, you can just go again the next year. If you have a bad year again, you can go again the next year. And what what that allows you to do is that it allows you to prepare. It allows you to prepare for next season and the season after that, and in ten seasons time, right? So I would have stripped back all the deadwood. The likes of Aspilicueta, the likes of um, the likes of Jorginho, the likes of I think Angola Conte. I think his time is done. I think it, I think he's been a great player. I think he's a great player when he's fit, but he's just never fit. Um, the likes of Ruben Loftus Cheek, maybe the likes of Hakim Ziyech, Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz, to maybe if you if you think that um, Eduard Mendy, if you think that like these players who are not kids but not the best and who aren't good enough. Because I think maybe 
I think, because I spoke about this last week with Chelsea, how the gap between the kids and the best is too great. So you need to fill up that gap with a bunch of squad players, right? And a bunch of players you don't think they're the best. The problem with that is that the players that Chelsea have in that bracket are terrible. They're not good at football, right? They suck. Um, or at least they're playing poorly. So they needed to refresh that, that aspect first and promote the kids. Promote Gallagher, Loftus-Cheek maybe if you want to keep him. Um, Chukomenka, if you when you sign him, obviously, promote him and give him the game time that he deserved. Right? Lewis Hall was, has been great. Um, Amari Hutchinson as well has showed some signs of promise. Um, despite not seeing the world alight, right? So it, you have to go about it in a certain way. Chelsea going about it by just picking out, yeah, I'll sign you for 80, you for 80, 60, 40, 100, 85, 90, 75, 30, 42, 25, 28. Like, you can't just pick out players and just attach arbitrary values to them. Like, I just don't think it's smart business. I really don't think it's smart business. Like, the Mudrick signing, right? I think he's got 7-7 seven and seven in 11 starts in the league, right? Which is great. Great return. 14 goals, um, goal goal contributions in, in 11 starts. I think something along those lines. That's great. That's really good. That's something Chelsea need. But for £100 million? Pounds? 80 million pounds? Like, I, I, like, I know I know money is a figment of our imagination and, and financial fair play is even more of a figment of our imagination, right? Both of those things in football do not exist. Money does not exist in football. It is fake. It is just a number, right? There's no actual value anymore. It's just a number. And financial fair play, well, that's been a farce for however long, right? So that's not news to anyone. But the way that Chelsea are going about this, both both transfer policy-wise, tactically, um, the vision that Todd Bowley is trying to, trying to put on this group and put on this squad, I just don't know. I just don't know. In Kunku as well, I forgot about him. He's a player that's coming through. I don't know. I really don't know. It is one of those things, isn't it? Where, where do we start? Like, where do we start? I've spoken for about 10 minutes. Like, where do you go from here? Like, where do you go? If we look at the squad, let's look at the squad. And if we're looking at... If we're looking at potential for the next Chelsea title-winning squad, let's look at it, right? right? When it, Chelsea, when are Chelsea next going to win a title? Who's going to be in, that, in in this squad? Kepa, Betanelli, Mendy, or Slonina? Slonina. Anyway, the goalkeeper that we signed. Probably none of them. Probably none of them. I can't see Mendy being there. Kepa, to me, is too inconsistent, even though it was great on the weekend. Mendy, to me, too, can't play with his feet, doesn't fit the pot away. I think none of them. Defenders. Aspilicueta, too old. Thiago Silva, by the time Chelsea are going to win the league, he might be 46. So, probably too old. Koulibaly, same thing, and he probably isn't good enough, let's be honest. I think Ben Chua will be there. I think Travis Shalaba will be there. Rich James will be probably a captain. Mark Cucurella, he's still, he's 24. I think he'll be there. Fafana and Badashile, probably as well, right? Probably as well. If we go to midfielders, Mateo Kovacic, potentially, potentially. Jorginho, no. N'Golo Conte, no. Zakaria, probably not. Loftus-Cheek, probably not. Mason Mount, probably. Conor Gallagher, Probably not. 
Yeah, you know, Kali Chukwamenka, yes, and Andre Santos, probably. Forwards, Abamyang, no. Sterling, probably not. He's 28, probably not. Hakim Zayach, no. Christian Pulisic, probably not. Kai Havertz, probably not. Jao Felix, probably not. Mudrik, you'd assume so. Broja, maybe. Fafana, probably. That, to me, screams a squad that needs overhauling, that needs overhauling, that needs refreshing, and that needs to be completely torn up, in a sense, and refurbished. And the first... So, when you... Here you go. Here's an analogy for you. When you tear up carpet to put floorboards in, you don't put the floorboards in first and then tear up the carpet. You tear up the carpet and then put your floorboards in. You tear up what's already there to refurbish it, to re, to re, to change it, to get it better, to make it look nice. Chelsea have looked at this carpet that needs fixing and have gone. I'll tell you what could. I'll tell you what we'll do this. Just a bunch of wooden planks on top of it. No order, no real structure to anything. Just chuck as much wooden shit at, on top of it to make it look like floorboards, and you'll be fine. That's that's like the equivalent of what Chelsea have done. There's been no care. There's been no methodical kind there's been no methodical true style of signing that 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 um that Todd Bowley has gone with. It's just okay who's been who's been in the news? Oh this Mudra guy Arsenal won for a hundred million? Yeah let's just buy him. Let's just get him. What what transfer policy is that? Like there's that's not a transfer policy. What transfer policy is that? Like like if, if Arsenal weren't after him, if Arsenal didn't want to sign Mudrik and Fabrizio Romano wasn't allegedly, potentially, maybe, who knows, um, paid off to do some things around the deal, Chelsea would not... Todd Bolly wouldn't even know who the bloke is, right? Chelsea wouldn't know... Todd Bolly wouldn't know who the bloke is. So let's just get that... Let's just get that fact, right? Let's just get that factual, right? It, it, it is the most... <sighs> absurd transfer policy the most absurd transfer policy and it's and it goes to show once again that Chelsea are a disconnected football club we're a disconnected football club there is a very very little faith I have in this football club very very little faith I have in this football club in terms of the direction that they're going the direction that the club's going I have little faith I have a few things that I like one of them isn't the injuries. The injury record is ridiculous. I don't know whether or not they're being overplayed, overworked, overtrained. We don't have we don't have a physio or we have shit physios, we have shit doctors. I don't know. But that needs to change because we can field a starting eleven that's injured. That would be better than our starting eleven that actually plays. Let's get that for fact, right? Secondly, that's the thing, the transfer policy as well. They're the two things which I potentially don't like. And the transfer policy kind of kind of enhances or kind of moves along to the general direction of the club okay so you have that and then so they're the things that i don't like what i do like about this club though is two things some of the players like i said i think batashile showed good signs rest james obviously chukomenka obviously lewis hall obviously um and barry hutchinson has shown some not bad signs um Mason Mount, I still I still really like Mason Mount. And there is 
that aspect of the squad which I like. The young core in this squad I like. Despite it being bought in some places, I do like this young core. And I do love the man on the touchline. I do really like Graham Potter. I really do. I think this is where I kind of wanted to do a tactical analysis, but I still want to wait until our tactics are set in stone, right? I want to. I want him to succeed. I really do. And I think he will. Given time, given backing, given, given time, given backing, and given the freedom to sign the players he wants to sign and to play the way that he wants to play without being pressured into you must get results otherwise you're sacked which I know is a which I know is a tough ask for Chelsea football club right but I think he can do a very 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 good job for Chelsea very good job I think he can be the next the first English manager to win the Premier League it's it's between him and Eddie Howe right the either of them are going to be the first manager to win the Premier League and I think Potter tactically is a little bit better than Howe I think Howe Potentially has better man management skills, but I think Potter has been a pl- person that wants to improve that side of his managerial game. Um, very, he's been very public about that as well. I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah, and another, th- and this goes on to what Chelsea need, right? And there is a poster over my right shoulder that kind of kind of demonstrates what Chelsea need. As I turn and, sorry, apologies for audio listeners, but um, if that's going to focus on on that poster. Up there. I'm moving out of the way so it so focuses on the poster. Once again, apologies for audio listeners. I'm just pointing pointing to a poster which I'll now describe. That's in the background of the shop. That poster up there. If it's focusing on it, it's focusing as best as it could. Now, that that is the kind of st- the stage and the and the scene that was um, that has been illustrated um, in the 87th minute um, of the 2012 Champions League final at the Allianz Stadium or the Allianz Arena in Munich. Um, the 19th of May 2012, 62,500 people in attendance on a beautiful um, 7.45 p.m. kickoff. There was there was a moment in that game where Chelsea needed a certain type of player. And and I feel like this is pretty, pretty poignant as to what Chelsea don't have at the moment. Um, the ball gets swung in from Juan Mata and uprising Didier Drogba. And the quote, the commentary... Chelsea's man for the big occasion scores his biggest ever goal in what may be his last match for the club, right? Of course, we all know he scored the equaliser, scored the penalty in the shootout. It's good. We all know that, right? But the reason why I wanted to bring that up, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because that squad and that man, Didier Drogba in particular, signifies one type of footballer. One type of footballer that Chelsea have lacked that Chelsea have lacked for a very, very long time, potentially ever since that man scored that goal. A leader. A true grab-the-game-by-the-horns, grab-the-team-by-the-scruff-of-the-neck, grab-them-by-the-collar, and drag-them-over-the-line leadership. When was the last time Chelsea had that? Eden Hazard? Maybe. Diego Costa? Maybe. But ever since that man scored that goal in that game to win that trophy in that stadium against that team, Chelsea have lacked that leader that stands up when when the responsibility is on him to stand up. 
doesn't have to be a striker. doesn't have to be a player in the same elk as Didier Drogba. It can be a goalkeeper, centre-back, centre-mid, right-back, left-mid, left-back. Who cares? And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a shrewd business decision. It could be a hundred million pound player. It could be an academy player. Chelsea need a player that, when the moment is there for the game to be won, or when the moment is there for for him to save his team, or when his team needs saving, that's the time where that player grabs the team and says, "You're coming with me. We're getting a result." Chelsea don't have that. Chelsea have eleven players who. Like, the man here, Didier Drogba, right? One of the most selfless footballers of all time, right? Especially for Chelsea. One of the most selfless footballers of all time. He was a number nine who didn't really care about scoring goals, right? He was a number nine that's job and what he's best, what he was best at was getting other people into the game. That in itself shows true self- selflessness, right? But, it, but that's besides the point. Chelsea have a bunch of selfish footballers in a sense of they want everyone else to do the hard yards and they want to take the glory. A lot of players in this squad are like that. He wasn't like that. He wasn't like that. Frank Lampard wasn't like that. Petr Cech wasn't like that. John Terry wasn't like that. Even as far back as the 05 team, Claude Makalele wasn't like that. Joe Cole potentially wasn't like that. I don't know for a fact. Damien Duff, these players weren't like that. They what they had the glory because they put in the work. This squad wants all the glory without putting in the work. There's about three players in this squad that want to put in the work and are showing that they're putting in the work. He's a player that put in the work day in, day out. And what did he get? What did he get? He scored his biggest ever goal in what may be his last match. The perfect footballing story. Granted, it wasn't his final match for the club, but... But the, the story is still the same, right? The club need to point to players like him and point to players in the similar elk of him to show what this club needs. This club needs players who... And I spoke about the transfer policy. This is about who they should target, right? Chelsea need players who, will, who are leaders of not just a team, but a club. Are leaders of clubs. Of football clubs. They're the leaders. They're the spokesperson. They are the representation of a football club. That's what he was. That's what a lot of people in that squad that won that trophy were. And have that won leagues before it. And won leagues and cups. And so many trophies before it. Those what that, those That's the type of player that those players were. Chelsea don't have that at the moment. And that's something that they need. Because... What this allows, I keep pointing to him. I keep pointing to him because I want, I want, I want it to be fully known that what he allows, what players like Drogba allow, it allows for it allows for so much pressure to be put off everyone, because when you have strong leaders throughout the team, that spine of Czech Terry Lampard Drogba. For the majority of, for the best part of a decade, just over, right? And then sprinkled in there, at times, your Michael Balak's, your Michael Essien's, your Joe Coles, right? These players, your Juan Matas, your Ramirez, your Ashley Cole playing left back, right? Another leader, right? Another player that said, another player, I think, in this game, 
that penalty in this game, right? Like players who will just be who players who take so much pressure off the coach, so much pressure off the board, so much pressure off the club, because when when the knife when sorry when the when the line is ready to be drawn, they pick up that stick and they draw the line in the center and they say no. We're taking this club over the line. We're getting a result. We're getting through this period because they're leaders, and that's what they do. The squad that we have right now don't have leaders. They don't know how to deal with when things don't go their way. There's about three leaders in this team, whereas in in teams like that, in teams like that, Drogba, Lampard, Terry, Czech, Cole, Balak, so many, so many leaders, so many leaders. Almost practically nine leaders in their team, in that team. So that's obviously something that Chelsea need to target. They need, they need to develop, and that comes from the top down. You can say what you want about Chelsea in the mid two thousands and how obviously Roman came about, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Chelsea in the from in the Roman era, really, but in particular from about oh four till from oh four till. 12, pretty much till that moment, Chelsea were a strong, strong football club with standards. Strong football club. I don't agree with the constant sacking of managers like um, what Mourinho goes and then it's what, Scolari and then Grant and then De Matteo gets sacked six months after that game. Um, Villas-Boas, um, anyone else that missing? I don't think so. I think they were those four. Ancelotti, sorry. Ancelotti gone. Um, Rafa gone. So I don't agree necessarily with that type of rotation. But what you had was you had, a, you had an owner who cold. Roman Abramovich, cold. Cold owner. You had a coach, Jose Mourinho. I know he wasn't the boss then, but the point stands. You had the coach, Jose Mourinho. Cold. Cold. Frank Lampard in midfield. Cold. Did our drug bar up front cold leaders of men that took no shit from anyone and that got the job done? Chelsea don't have that right now. I think I think Graham Potter can become that. I think he's still young, still relatively inexperienced. I think he can become that with time. Thiago Silva is that, but he won't be there for long. I think Benoit Batashile can become that. This big dominant presence, aggressive centre half. I think he can become that. I don't think Kepa can become that or Mendy. Or Mendy maybe, but I don't think he'll be there for much longer. Mount maybe. Mount maybe. Um Fafana up front. I mean, like um the striker Fafana, maybe. Who knows? But that's something that Chelsea need. And that's the way that they can turn the ship around by getting players like him. Just wanted to point that out. Just wanted to. I just wanted to get. Just maybe get a bit into. Get involved a little bit because I, I. I've touched on the ones over my left shoulder. Big R nine. A big, big Zinedine. Where is he? There he is. Um, wanted to touch on these ones as well, which I did. Okay, I think that's. Um, yeah, that's probably enough on Chelsea. Otherwise, I'd drive myself mad, and no one wants that. Trust me, no one wants to see me flip, flip my load. That's not it. Flip the table. I I can't think right now. I can't think right now, to be honest. But all I do know is that that's enough on Chelsea. Spoken about him for quite a while. Okay, let's move on to A-League. Let's touch on the A-League. I want to touch on three points. 
Um, I don't. My phone has just died, so I and I don't really want to get them up on my laptop because it'll f fuck the frame rate. So I'll just have to try and remember them. Okay, we had victory sanctions. That's what I want to speak about first. Okay, victories sanctions happened last week. I don't want to touch too too much on this because it's been covered to death. Um, it was a five hundred thousand dollar fine. No, um, no tickets available for the rest of the season. I don't think no away fans available for the rest of the season. Um, and a 10-point suspended sentence, a 10-point suspended deduction, suspended 10-point deduction, um, which will be enforced shall any shall any um, situations evolve over the next three seasons. Um, so, yeah, basically what this means is Victory fans can't do anything dumb for three years um, because Victory fans can't do anything dumb for three years because otherwise I'll get that 10 points. Um, no fans can buy tickets, so it's only, only members. So basically what Chelsea had at the back end of last year um, with their, with only season ticket holders going, basically what it is. And no away fans. That's, all, that's what it is, I'm pretty sure. Cover to death, I think it's a fine. I don't think it's overly harsh. I don't think it's overly lenient. $500,000 fine for a club that's already in a bad financial position is punishment enough. I think a suspended... The point deduction is probably maybe a little bit lenient. I maybe would have docked maybe three or four points, or at the very least, given it a nil-nil to Man to uh, given it a three-nil win to Melbourne City. That game will be rescheduled in April or will be replayed in April. Um, so yeah, maybe points-wise a little bit lenient because Victory can still win the game um, against City. I don't think they will, but they still technically can. Um, so yeah, maybe a point deduction would have been fair, but I don't think it's overly. I don't think it's overly um, bad, lenient, or harsh. Yeah, okay, that's it. Um, there was another thing that I wanted to speak about. I've got one more point in my head. That uh, I've got one more point in my head that I don't really want to look up. I probably should have either written them down or um, not let my phone die. Um, this is what happens when you don't remember your own sheets, people. Um, anyway, it's a full time before I think about it. I'll touch on Olsen. Victory announced that Olsen will be the active support that caused this whole hoo-ha. Um, will be disbanding. Olsen has now made a statement saying that they will not disband and um, that they actually deleted their post apologising to Tom Glover, Alex King and the cameraman. They're just so disappointing. Um I know this for a fact, for a fact, I know this for a fact, the sum, a percentage, not saying how big, not saying how small, a percentage of people in that active support don't care about football, a percentage of people in that active support do not care about football, for the betterment of the club, if they care about the club as much as they say they do, they should disband. They should disband because they've caused this. Not all of them. Not everyone's at fault. That's why I say some. Some people are at fault for this, but it's that thing, right? One person gets punished, everyone gets punished. It's a deterrence. It's the ultimate deterrence for anyone. If they really cared about the club as much as they thought, as much as they think they do, they should disband. But turns out they just want to ruin their clubs independently, and they just want to not care about the club, even though the club wish has asked for them to disband. If they care about the club as much as they say they do, they follow the orders of the club. That's how it works. Um, but yeah. Anyway. 
I know for a fact some of them don't care about football. A percentage of those people in that active support don't care about football. So it is like, what's the point? It is like, what's the point? Um, so there's that. Um, I've got... I, 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 so basically, I wrote down three things when I wanted to cover about the A-League. I wrote three things. I know what the third one is. I know what the third one is. Oh, I'm just, okay. Apologies, frame rate issues are uh, impending for those listening on on um, for those watching on YouTube. I apologize. I just have to. I just have to find out what my second point was. It's gonna kill me. It's gonna kill me. Yeah, there we go. That's what it was. Okay, there we go. Found it. Got it. Sorry, we're back. Hopefully the um, the FPS should be fine now. That's where we were. Okay, the the second thing I want to touch on was let me know in the comments below or tweet tweet at the podcast or tweet at me. Should we be playing games at 3 p.m. in the afternoon during summer? This came to this came about during the Western Sydney versus Melbourne City game, which had a very, very, very good goal by Richie van der Verne. Um, I think that was his name anyway. Yeah, van der Verne. It's not van der Verne. Um, van der Verne, who knows. I can't quite remember. <laughs> That's very, very poor. It was a great goal, nonetheless. I digress. Should we be playing games in the middle of the afternoon in summer? I don't know. I don't know. It's, of course, because the heat is ridiculous. Tomorrow, it's going to be 38 degrees. I'm in Melbourne at about 3, 4 p.m. Should we be risking this? Should we be taxing the players' bodies this harshly? I don't know. Is it something that they just need to get over? That's very harsh to say that. I think it is a. I think it is a. We just have to fight through it, for the betterment of the league, unless you want to play every game at night during during the peak of summer. I don't know, unless, yeah, unless you want to play every game at night during the peak of summer. I don't know what you. I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what you want to do. I just think. Can you afford to play every game at night? I mean, we already had we already had the Perth Glory versus Sydney FC game. Go, which I'll touch on later. Um, go. So so, the home team Perth, the the game ended at ten thirty. I think. I think game ended at ten thirty. For, for, um, Sydney people, the team they were versing, it ended at twelve thirty in the morning, and for people in Newcastle, it ended at two thirty a.m. That to me is just absurd. Like that to me is ridiculous. That to me is ridiculous how that can happen. But it's time zones, right? I just think that's quite funny, and I think it's ridiculous that that's happening. But you once again you can't avoid it because Perth. It's not Perth's fault. They live six years away. Although binning off Western Australia and becoming a republic for everyone else. Thoughts? Thoughts? I mean, what did Western Australia offer anyway? Um, there we go. Just alienated, just alienated an entire state. I'm sorry, Western Australia. I've I, I've actually have been. I've been to Perth once. I've been to Perth once. It was a three hour stopover. Um, at four in the morning, coming back from Singapore. Um, I was I was nine. And I don't remember anything. Actually, that's a lie. I remember standing outside the old Subiaco Oval, um, where West Coast and Freya used to play football. Before Optus, I remember standing outside there and getting a photo. 
Um, that photo's got to be somewhere. My dad's probably got it. But um, yeah, your city was very nice at 4 o'clock in the morning. No cars on the road, which was great. Anyway, um, I digress. Should we be playing games at 3 a.m. in the morning? How'd I, how'd I, how'd I transition to that? That's quite weird. Um, th- 3 p.m. in the afternoon, I should say. Probably not, but I don't see a way around it. I don't see a way around it. And um, yeah, the third, the third talking about I wanted to say was... Simon Hill made a great point on the, on the broadcast of the Victory versus Adelaide game. Made a great point about about the stadium, the, about Cooper Stadium. I and he said how like it's quite funny how we complain about the struggles the A League have when I think it was eleven thousand people rocked up Saturday night, perfect conditions, Adelaide Victory, big big game, big derby, mass, massive atmosphere. Both sides had the ability to, to, to nick it at the end of the game, one or draw. It was a good game to go and watch, I would assume, right? Shame the, the, the absence of any active... The, the, the absence of any um, away fans did obviously hinder the atmosphere a bit, but it was a good it was a good atmosphere, right? And you made the point about how can we ever... It feels like... It feels like how, how can we ever have problems with the A-League when this can happen, right? Obviously saying it as a... How can we have problems, but we still do, right? That type of thing. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't complaining about people complaining about the league, right? And it made me think. I said, and it made me think to myself, and I actually tweeted about it. I said, that is actually the most accurate thing that regarding stadiums that can be said, in my opinion. I think, I think, what the A League needs to survive is. Cooper Stadium is arguably one of the best stadiums in the country, right? You have um, Central Coast Stadium is great. It's really cool. It's a really, really cool stadium, right? Hold 15,000, 20,000 max. Small, rectangular. Shock what shock how much the, the atmosphere can help. Well, shock, shock how much that can help the atmosphere, right? small, rectangular, intimate, and has grandstands, has the ability to be a game that can be broadcasted professionally but also feels close and intimate. They're the perfect, perfect, perfect grounds for this league, in my opinion. I think 60,000 capacity fishbowl stadiums, I I don't see it. I don't see it. And then subsequently, four or five thousand amateur Sunday League MPL stadiums for the long term isn't the way forward. Macedonia Park for Perth, I think for now that's good. I think for now it's good. It's doing its job. In the meantime, it's doing its job. I think it's cool. I do think it's really cool, right? But I just think if you could if you could duplicate Cooper Stadium twelve times over. And have each team have a have a stadium very very similar to Cooper Stadium. I think the league would be in such a better position. Because what the A League needs, and I've said this so many times, I don't want to get onto a rant because I want to end this quite soon. What the A League needs is that it needs people to go right, and people are sheep, right? People are sheep. If I see if I see ten thousand people going to one spot, I'm probably gonna be like, oh, what's over there? I might go. I might follow. Right. If I if I say two if I say two crowds walking straight and I see one with a hundred people and one with ten thousand people, I'm probably going to go to the one with the ten thousand people because that's probably attracting more people for a reason, right? 
And in order, because because the A can't compare with the Premier League and the Bundesliga and the Serie A about with in terms of quality of league, right? What it needs to attract fans is a good atmosphere, and good atmospheres come from small, intimate, controlled, family, but also intimidating stadiums like Coopers, right? Amy Park to a lesser extent because victory you aren't going to get crowds, but I still think it, that that applies. Sydney Football Stadium, I think, is good, but. I don't know, the old Pertec Stadium. I was watching some old um, Western Sydney games. I was watching some old, um, yeah, I was watching some old Western Sydney Wanderers games. The old Pertec Stadium. Well, that's what it's called, right? That was so cool. That stadium was so cool. It was really, really cool. Bankwest is great by all accounts, but I don't know. It just doesn't have the same vibe. But that's just something that I thought of when um, listening to Simon Hill's broadcast. I thought it was interesting, and I wanted to bring it up. Okay, let's finish things up quickly, because I want to end this and go and watch the tennis. My phone's died, so I don't know the scores on any of the games. Um, So I'm just going to be just as in shock when I go downstairs and find out. Anyway, who went into foot? Basically, this is the only segment on this podcast, and we finish, finish it up with this segment where we go through a player, club, organization, pundit, venue, anyone, anyone and anything within the footballing landscape that has done something daft or stupid or silly or dumb or... I think I use the word daft once a week and it's when I introduce this segment. Um, And this time it is Macedonia Park's lights going out for the Sydney FC Perth Glory game, which subsequently led to to a 102nd-minute equaliser by David Williams for Perth Glory. Peak A-League. Peak A-League. It's great. It's the character of the league. Some may say it's unprofessional. I say it's character. Okay? I say it's character. Okay. Um, that is that is enough for this episode. I can't do a preview of the week because my phone's died, so I can't look at the fixtures. So, um, um, us, Chelsea will probably lose. So will Liverpool. Arsenal will probably win. And, and there's going to be four red cards in one game. Fuck it. I don't know. Um, yeah, thank, thank you all very much for watching another episode of the Two Foot Tackle Podcast. Um, yeah, thank you very much for watching another episode of the Two Foot Tackle Podcast. Lose my train of thought there for a second. But yeah, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, like all the podcasts, share it around on all the socials. It would mean the world. Um, yeah, all the socials are in the description of YouTube and are in the and I've got bios on link in the bio, both Twitter and Instagram, where you can get all your Two Foot Tackle Podcast needs. Make sure you tune into next week um, where we'll be touching on next week's well the this coming week's footballing actions um footballing happenings i should say yes thank you very much for watching stay well stay safe speak to you guys next time and goodbye